following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So this is the final day in this four-part series that we've been doing. Uh, if, you, if you just jumped into this today, what, what's been happening is this collective series between us and another church called Grace City. Uh, they have a central church and a church out east, and so we have been sharing preachers through this series. The series is called The Point of Your Thorns, and we're looking at finding purpose in the painful spaces and places of our lives, uh, looking at what God's doing in areas of struggle and suffering, and trying to uh, draw near to the heart of God, even in the times that are really, really tough. So we're basing all of this, we're grounding the series in a passage in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, which is around the Apostle Paul and his experience of what he calls his thorn in the flesh. We're going to be back in that text this morning for one final time. But first, each week in the series, we've had a video which has shared with you a story from our church community, and these have just been a really rich and raw kind of way of hearing from people in our own church community who are wrestling and grappling with their own thorns in the flesh. And we have one final story, video story, to share with you this morning. So this is Helen Rayner's story. You know Helen, part of our church community, here somewhere this morning, I think. I won't put the spotlight on you, Helen, but bless you for sharing the story, and let's watch this together. My youngest son was six weeks old when I found out my husband was having an affair. I will remember that moment for as long as I live. It's like the ground that you're standing on just disappears and you're plunged into freefall. Everything I thought I knew about my husband, my marriage, my family, our future was suddenly ripped away. Even though my world had fallen apart, I couldn't just crawl into bed and pull the covers over my head. I had a baby and a toddler who needed me. So I had to keep going. And I think one of the things I remember most about that time was that I couldn't pray. There was just this wordless cry of pain sounding constantly in my head. And I remember thinking, I hope God understands why I'm not talking to him. My husband promised to end his affair, to go to counseling and to fix things with me. But he wasn't telling the truth. Three months later, he announced that he was leaving me for her. He walked downstairs. I heard him put the rubbish out, and then he drove away. As the sound of his car faded, I hoped against anything that he would come back and tell me it was all a mistake, or even a joke gone wrong. But he didn't. This happened on May the 4th, 2017, International Star Wars Day. Over the next few days, the refrain, May the Force be with you, sounded constantly through my head. I took it as a sign of hope from God, that the boss of the universe was with me and he wouldn't let me go. That helped me through those awful times, when my baby was sick and ended up in hospital, when the other woman threatened to take my children away, and when we ended up moving to my dad's in Hamilton out of fear for our safety. One Sunday, Reuben spoke about a passage in Daniel chapter 9. It says, O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay. For your city and your people bear your name. 
I changed the words to fit and that became my prayer for my family. When my husband ended his affair and came home again, I believed that was a sign from God that he, our marriage would become stronger and deeper as a result of what we'd been through. God was answering my prayers. I kept asking God when the miracle would come, but I never doubted that it would. I clung to this prayer and to this hope through three long years of deception, broken promises and even more affairs. At the end of that three years, I finally realised that God had given me an answer and he said no. My marriage would be a statistic and my children would come from a broken home. It was hard to understand, let alone accept. I'd been told all my life that God ordains marriages. I'd done everything that the counsellors had told me to do, and yet it seemed like in this instance, love had actually failed. And hardest of all, my two beautiful boys would not grow up in the intact, happy family I had dreamed of for them. I don't know why God didn't answer my prayer but I know now that he did listen and he did act. In his infinite justice and mercy and wisdom, he gave me the answer that I didn't want. Since then, God has surrounded me with love from my family and my friends and this church. He placed me in Plan B, which is a group of wahine toa who are helping each other on the road to healing from separation and divorce. He's placed me alongside neighbours and friends and workmates who are going through marriage separations. My experiences are not wasted and that helps me deal with the bitterness and rage of what has happened. And I am learning that God will never leave me. He keeps his promises. He watches over my children. He is faithful. It's my favourite thing about him. I have to compose myself after that. I watched that beforehand so I wouldn't get, you know, such a powerful story. Um, can I just say thank you to the three women who have shared their stories over the last three weeks? So Mel and then Sarah uh, and today Helen. It's just incredibly brave, isn't it, to do this? And a real journey for these women to, to, be, uh, to be vulnerable and brave and then, and then craft their story and then communicate that to camera like that. Um, it's just... It's a, it's a huge gift to you, I know, for them to do that, and that's been a real journey for them, so thank you. Can we just show our appreciation to the three? I'm not sure if all three are here. Thank you. Um, and, also, and also special mention to Jiong Yi, who edited, pr produced, filmed, produced, edited th those videos just beautifully, just eloquent, beautiful videos. Hey, they're just stunning. So Jiong is a real talent, part of our church community here, so thank you, Jiong. Uh, so, yeah, just wonderful to hear those stories. They're, they're brutal and they're real and that's, that's what this is about. Uh, they're not nicely packaged stories with a bow around them. This is real life and the struggle and the sufferings and wrestling with God in the midst of that. 
So we, we come to a, a pretty tough question this morning, which is, why does God not answer my prayers? And uh, I want to ask you to think of a time, you can probably all think of a time, when you've prayed for something, and God has not answered that prayer. And maybe you've prayed a lot, maybe you've prayed just a little bit, and just for whatever reason, nothing. Uh, God hasn't come through for you, or at least He hasn't answered the prayer in the way that you wanted Him to. I think about a time uh, recently when we prayed for our eldest boy, Josh, to get into a particular high school, and we'd, we'd applied, we were out of zone, and he was going into year nine, and we prayed. We prayed that he'd be accepted, and we prayed that he'd, there'd be a way, uh, and, and that door was just very firmly closed for us multiple times, despite trying, despite praying, it was just absolute closed door. Uh, and it's hard, you know, because we've we got other Christian friends who applied to get their kids into that school, and I'm sure they prayed too, and their kids got in, and that's, and that's great, and I'm happy for them, you know, it's, that's, that's awesome, but you know how it is, like when God answers someone else's prayer, and not your prayer, I mean, unanswered prayer is hard enough, and then it's like, well, why? All these questions, sometimes really irrational thoughts go through your head of like, well, what, what is it? Why is God not answering our prayer and he's answering someone else's prayer over here? It's such a mystery. Why does God, why does one person get prayed for healing and they get healed and then someone else gets prayed for healing and they don't get healed? What's the common denominator? Did we not pray hard enough? Did we not use the right words? Did we not have enough faith? Was there some sin in my life? Even though we know all of that stuff is nonsense, honestly, we still find ourselves thinking it, don't we? Sometimes because we're desperate. It's hard. Sometimes it seems so random. You know, someone will pray for a car parking space to open up and God answers that prayer. <laughs> and then someone else will pray for... Some, you know, some friend who's got cancer and God doesn't answer that prayer. It's like, what? How is God more concerned about car parking spaces than he is about someone with cancer? C.S. Lewis wrote a wonderful book called A Grief Observed. He talks about the journey of losing his wife to cancer and the, and the grief, the bereavement that followed that. And he talks about his experience of God not answering his prayer. He says this, but go to him, that's God, when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. Pretty brutal, huh? But, it, but it's real, right? I mean, this is how we feel. I don't think there's much point trying to dress it up and pretend like this isn't... This is like unanswered prayer must be one of the hardest things, I think, in the Christian life. It's one of the hardest experiences to go through. We feel that way. You feel like sometimes you're knocking on the door because Jesus told us, knock and the door will be open. So come on, God. And it's like you just hear the sound of the door slamming in your face, bolting on the inside. It's a really hard experience. One of the toughest, I think, in the Christian life to go through. So that question, why doesn't God answer my prayer? It intersects with the series and it intersects with Paul's own experience of his thorn in the flesh. Uh, the challenge for the Apostle Paul was that he dealt with this, whatever this thorn in the flesh was. So we don't know exactly what this was, whatever kind of struggle it was that he was carrying around with him, relational, emotional, mental, uh, physical, we don't know. But he had the double problem of this thorn in the flesh and then bringing that to God and getting no answers, or at least not the answer he wanted, experiencing the agony and the anguish of unanswered prayer. 
And so the way in which Paul responds to that, and Paul's own experience of unanswered prayer, I think gives us a lot of insight and a lot of wisdom into how we can deal with the mystery of unanswered prayer in our lives. So I want to pick up on just one little verse in this passage this morning, not the verse we usually focus on. But let me come back again, and I'll read this passage for us just to ground us back in the story, back in the text, and then I want to pick up on one particular verse. So 2 Corinthians 12, if you've got a Bible there, always good to have that out, follow along. Halfway through verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I want to focus this morning on verse 8. Short little verse. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So here's this picture of Paul. I mean, you imagine Paul, the word pleaded literally means begging. So here's Paul, maybe down on his knees, Begging God, God, please fix this situation. God, please mend this relationship. God, please take away this mental anguish. Please uh, take away this illness, this injury, whatever it was. Paul is begging and he's pleading. And he says that he pleaded three times. He prayed three times for the Lord to take it away. My guess is that probably Paul prayed more than three times. But maybe he's talking about three particularly intense times, maybe times of prayer and fasting when he really focused in. And I think there is a reason why Paul mentions this three times thing. Three times I prayed to the Lord to take it away. There's an interesting little connection here between this passage and an earlier passage in the Bible. If you think back to the Gospels, some of you will be familiar with the story in Matthew 26 of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night that Jesus was betrayed. So this is the night before he was crucified. And Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes some of his disciples with him. And we're told that he leaves the disciples in a certain place. And he goes on further into the garden and he prays. And what does he pray? Father, if it is your will, may this cup of suffering be taken away from me. He's praying for God to remove his thorn in the flesh. Can you hear that? He talks about it as a cup of suffering. Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh, but it's the same thing. For Jesus, it was the agony and the anticipation of knowing what was coming over the next 24 hours, this cup of suffering. He prays. And then he comes back to his disciples, and then he goes a second time and prays the same thing. Then he comes back to his disciples, and he goes away again, and he prays. Matthew says he says the, the same thing three times, or for a third time. So here is Jesus praying three times, for his thorn in the flesh to be taken away. Isn't that interesting? And I wonder if when Paul was writing 2 Corinthians 12, he had that experience of Jesus in mind. He would have been told the stories. And I wonder whether he was thinking, you know, my suffering in some ways is interpreted by the suffering of Jesus. That Jesus experienced this thorn in the flesh, his anguish, his suffering. Jesus prayed to his heavenly father to take away that thorn in the flesh and what did he hear? Nothing. Right? No record of the Father speaking in the Garden of Gethsemane. Silence. Unanswered prayer. 
So you have this scenario where Paul is praying to Jesus to take away his thorn in the flesh, and the very Jesus that he's praying to has himself experienced unanswered prayer from his heavenly Father. Isn't that a fascinating sequence of events? And I think Paul would have been encouraged by that. I think you could be encouraged by that. Because there is a very real sense that when we struggle, even when we hear silence from God and we we feel like nothing's happening and our prayers are going unanswered, Jesus knows that experience too. He can relate to us in every way, including in the experience of unanswered prayer. He's prayed and heard nothing. He's prayed and got no response. And so I know this doesn't answer all your questions, but you can at least know that when you pray and you hear nothing and you feel like you hear the door being shut in your face, Jesus has been exactly where you are. He's been right there. He has heard the sound of bolting on the inside as well. And he's heard the silence of his heavenly father. So he knows exactly what you're going through. Okay, well, let's try and deal with this question head on then. Shall we? I'm going to try and do my best here. Why does God not answer our prayers? I've got four reasons. And I'm the first to say, I don't think these are the only four reasons. I'm not even sure they're the best four reasons. There's such a mystery to all of this. Um, And I don't want to come this morning and and present something that's like really neatly packaged and giving all the answers because there is huge mystery around this question. But I think Scripture does give us some indications of why sometimes God may not answer our prayers or may not answer them in the way that we feel like we want them answered. So I'm going to work these through, and maybe one will connect with you more than another. They overlap to some degree. First reason why God may not answer my prayer is because we live in a broken world. That may sound like a cop-out, It might not be a very satisfying answer, but it's really fundamental to have a Christian view of suffering, that we live in a broken world. So when we pray, when you pray, God, please intervene. God, please fix this. God, please break through. God, please come through for me. We can absolutely pray like that, but we need to remember where we are in the story when we pray like that. So we live after the death and resurrection of Jesus, who has defeated all evil and suffering. But we live before the return of Jesus, who is going to finally eliminate all evil and suffering. And we're not there yet. Now, on that day, when we get to that day, Jesus returns, new heavens, new earth. On that day, God is going to answer every prayer you pray. It's a promise from Scripture, Isaiah 65. God says, before they call, I will answer. Amazing promise. It's one of the things of the new heavens and the new earth. Before you call, he will answer. Before you even pray, before you even think it, before it's on your lips, God will answer. The problem is we want that promise now. We want to grab Isaiah 65. We want to bring it into the present. That's a promise for the new creation. It's the same passage that talks about the lion lying down with the lamb. We don't see that happening yet either. That's the the future new creation. So that is going to happen on that day. And we need to be mindful we're not there yet. We're like the kids in the back seat saying, Dad, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? That's like when we pray. You know, are we there yet? God, I want that promise. I want us to be there yet. You know? And God is the patient father, much more patient than I am with my kids when they say that. And he says, we are not there yet. That day is not there yet. We still live in a world that is marred by the effects of the fall. We still live in a world that is marred by the effects of the curse of sin. We live in a broken, fallen, sinful, struggling, groaning world. And in this world, pain and suffering are a part of life. And God doesn't always step in and fix it and solve it. 
Philip Yancey says, pain and suffering are part and parcel of life on this planet, and Christians are not exempt. Do we really expect God to go around protecting us whenever we encounter something difficult? Now, I know that might sound callous. I don't think he means it to be callous. I think he means it to be honest and realistic. Yes, God could remove every single bit of suffering in your life. Absolutely, he is providential and powerful. But in his wisdom and in his providence, he doesn't put all evil and suffering to an end yet. We're not at that part of the story yet. And sometimes, honestly, you know, like when Christians struggle, one of the things that we do, and it's understandable, is we ask, why? Do you find yourself asking this? Why me? Why my family? Why God? Why, why now? Why my situation? When these people are doing just fine, why me? And these people aren't even Christians. They're having a good old time. Why me? Why am I? Why are we struggling? Why multiple things, God? You know, we why, 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 why? And honestly, I think sometimes the most theological answer you can give to that question is because sometimes life sucks. Like, I, I don't mean that to sound harsh. I'm just saying, like, that's theologically, this is the landscape that we are living within. God loves us, but sometimes life stinks. We live in a world where people get sick and towers fall down, bridges collapse, volcanoes erupt and take lives, earthquakes happen and take lives. People walk into buildings with rifles and take lives. Our brain chemicals get stuffed up sometimes. People walk out on their marriages sometimes. Tragedy strikes. Unexpected things happen. And life is really, really hard. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. This is what I want you to hear, that when you pray, you might not have your prayers answered, but it's not because God doesn't love you. It's certainly not because you're not praying hard enough. It's probably not because you don't have enough faith. It's not because you're not using the right words. It's just because we're not there yet. That day hasn't arrived yet. One day it will, but we're not there yet. And we have to be content with living in this crazy in-between time between the cross and the new creation where we inhabit the brokenness of this world. So that is one reason, maybe the most fundamental reason, why God doesn't answer our prayers, because we live in a broken world. Number two, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayer because he's deepening our faith. I think you see this with the Apostle Paul. He prays, and to be fair, his prayer is not completely unanswered, is it? God does answer. Jesus does answer. It's just not the answer he wants. But what does Jesus say in verse 8 or verse 9? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So what Jesus is wanting to do is, through this really, really tough experience that Paul's having, bring Paul to a place where he has deeper faith in the sufficiency of God's grace. And so often this is what God is wanting to do in our suffering. God gives us his grace so freely he just pours it upon us. In fact, Ephesians says he lavishes it upon us. But we need to receive it. Our receiving of it, our uh, taking hold of God's grace, that's faith. Our accepting of it, our standing in the grace of God, that's faith. And sometimes God will allow you to go through the fire to deepen your trust and your faith in him. 
My favourite preacher is a guy named Charles Spurgeon. Anyone heard of him? I've never heard him preach, neither of you, because he lived in the 19th century. Uh, but there's a lot of written sermons of his, and uh, here's Spurgeon preaching to his church about faith. Just imagine this, you know, eloquent British preacher speaking to you now. He says to his congregation, There are a great many of you who appear to have a large stock of faith, but it is only because you are in very good health and your business is prospering. If you happen to get a disordered liver or your business should fail, I should not be surprised if nine parts out of ten of your wonderful faith should evaporate. How'd you like to have him as your pastor? Gee, that's hard, eh? That's hard. But I think he's on to something, isn't he? You know, we have this great, when, when times are good, like when your life is relatively settled and stable, we feel like we've got great faith. Yeah, I've got faith. I was thinking about having faith in God. Jesus, I've got faith in you. That's because things are going well. When the business starts to get shaky, when your work starts to get shaky, when relationships come under pressure, when your finances get squeezed, when your mental health takes a hit, then what happens? then you realize that great faith I thought I had is really just a shrunken up, shriveled little version of itself. I think two things happen in that space. One is you realize the faith you had was not so great after all. But in that moment, your loving Heavenly Father comes to you and says, now I want to plant real faith in your life. Now in the struggle, in the painful times, I'm going to plant something new. I'm going, to, I'm going to plant something real in your life. This may be what some of God is saying to some of you this morning. I'm going to plant real faith. That, that thing that you thought was faith, don't worry about that. I'm going to plant something new. Something, I'm going to lead you to really trust me now. And I've experienced this. You know, the, this, I've talked to you about this before. One of the struggles I've had in my adult life off and on is a, is a struggle with anxiety. And it comes and it goes. But in those times when my anxiety levels go up, I have found that clinging to the promises of Scripture is what brings me back to a sense of being settled and safe in the arms of God. I want to be careful what I say here because I don't want to imply to you that when I stand on these promises of Scripture that the anxiety goes away. And that doesn't always happen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But when I allow myself to be grounded in the promises of God and I remind myself who He is, it transforms the experience of that anxiety. Some, then, then suddenly Jesus is there with me, in a sense experiencing this with me, carrying this, bur- carrying this burden with me. And so for me, in those times, like when I'm waking up at 2 a.m. and it just feels like the world is falling apart, there are particular promises of God that have just been a lifeline for me over the years. Isaiah 41.10 is one of them. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Even saying it now, I can feel it. I was saying it this morning. Just there is power in this. I was saying to someone this week, I'm the last person who was ever just going to tell you, just throw a Bible verse at all your problems and that'll fix them. It's not that. But it is believing that the Holy Spirit will speak powerfully into your heart through the words of Scripture as you cling to them. Not the words on the page. It's not the ink on the page. It's the power of God working through Scripture. Isaiah 43 has been so powerful for me. This is what Yahweh says. He who formed you, Israel. He who created you, Jacob. Do not fear, for I have summoned you. I've called you by name. You are mine. You pass through the waters. I will be with you. You pass through the rivers. They will not sweep over you. You pass through the fire. 
the flames will not set you ablaze. Can you feel that? It's just hush comes over the room. Sense of the power of the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. That's what we're talking about, friends. It's not trying to conjure up this thing called faith. Like, I've got to have more faith. I've got to summon this substance. It's not that. It's you resting in the arms of your Father who is so sufficient and so loving and clinging to what He has already told you is true, that He loves you and He will be with you no matter what. Never leave you. Never forsake you. That is faith. For some of you, that's what God is building into your life right now. Yes, there's a kind of faith that God will cultivate in your life in the good times, but I guarantee you ask anyone who's, who you look at their life and you say, that is a real man or woman of faith, deep, good, biblical, rich faith. I just about guarantee you that faith has been forged in suffering. That faith has been forged through hard times. It's when you go through the fire that God will then say, now I'm going to lead you to a place of deeper trust. It doesn't automatically happen. Listen, you, you can allow suffering to push you away from God if you want to, and many people have. But if you allow it to, your struggle and your pain can push you and pull you into the arms of your heavenly Father, and he will build deep faith, deep trust in your life. If that's you this morning, I know it's hard, but surrender to it. Surrender to the good work of God in your life. He's doing good things. He's doing good work. Let him cultivate that faith. Okay, number three. You got room for a couple more? <laughs> oh, it's pretty heavy. Here's number three, and it overlaps a lot with number two. Uh, why doesn't God answer my prayer? Because God may be refining your character. This is even more painful. But this is exactly, again, what we see in the text. This is what God was doing to Paul. So we know from verse 7, Paul says, in order to stop me from becoming conceited. He'd had this amazing vision. He'd gone up to heaven, to paradise, uh, heard inexpressible things. That is the kind of thing that could make anyone proud, right? And conceited and arrogant. And I think it was there. It was a real tendency, a real temptation for Paul. Because remember, he had been a proud Pharisee. Like in his former life, he'd been the self-righteous, legalistic Pharisee, boasting about his law-keeping. He knew pride, and it would have been so easy now, post-Damascus Road, for that to creep into his Christian life, and for that latent pride to start rearing its ugly head again. Imagine if Paul had succumbed to pride, starts infecting his writings starts affecting the way he relates to his congregation. It would have just damaged his ministry. We, we wouldn't have heard of Paul. We wouldn't be reading 2 Corinthians because he would have been so much less effective in the Lord's service. It could have gone that way. And so God allows this trial to come into Paul's life, this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, in order to bring humility, in order to refine Paul's character. Now, this is what will happen when you go through times of pain, seasons of struggle. These things, these experiences, have a really annoying way of surfacing things in our life. It's so frustrating, but it happens, right? It's the ugly stuff in your life that suddenly comes to light. You go through difficult times, and it's like you come face to face with that selfish streak that's always been there, but you see it. You see it more clearly when you're going through hard times. You go through difficulties and you just start to see things about yourself and the way you respond and your default patterns of relating to other people. You start to see some of the idols in your life a bit more clearly, things that your heart has latched onto, things that your heart has become distracted by rather than God. These things just seem to come up to the surface. 
It's hard enough, the stuff that you're going through, and now you start to see the ugliness of your character. You know, the reason that God allows this to happen is not because he wants to condemn you. It's not because he wants to tear you down. It's because he wants to refine your character. Jesus said it in John 15. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. The branch that bears fruit, what is the Father going to do to that branch? Any of you know? Prune it. That's not what we want to hear, is it? What happened to just being nice to it and letting it bear fruit? You know, but what the father is, what the vine grower is going to do to the branches, those nice leafy branches that are bearing fruit, is he's going to come along with his, what are they called? Secateurs, thank you. And he is going to start pruning. Man, that's hard. He's going to start cutting. Again, please don't hear, this is not because he doesn't love you. He does, he delights in you. But any of you into horticulture will know that this is how you cultivate growth in the vine. This is how good fruit is born. These lessons from horticulture, they speak into the realities of our life. And the father, for some of you now, may be pruning. It is brutally uncomfortable. It is the last thing you want, and you're mad at God for doing it, but that might be what's happening. That he's coming along with those heavenly secateurs, and he is gently pruning something in your life. We are so focused on getting out of it and getting over it and getting through it and being rid of it, we miss what God's doing in it. We miss that right in the middle of it, God is doing his best work in your life right now. He will do his best work in the midst of your suffering if you let him. He'll do his best work when the pressure is on and the multiple afflictions come into your life. If you're open, if your heart is open, the Father will prune and it will be to cultivate faith and character in your life. And it will be to shape you lovingly to become more like Jesus. And so I would just say to you, if you're in the fire today, if, you, if you're going through the hard times, just ask the Father, God, is there an area of my character that you're refining? Is there something that he's putting his finger on? Just be open. You may, you may know exactly what it is. You may have no idea. So just be open. Just be open and be surrendered. And the goal is that we may be able to say, as Job said, when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. That's what Job says. You come through the fire, what happens to gold in the fire? All the impurities are burned away. Everything that is not gold is burned away. That's what God's doing in some of your lives this morning. Everything that is not good, everything that is impure is being burned away. God's saying, I want to let something die in your life. I want to strip away some of the flesh. Some of the sinful nature. There's things in your life that God is wanting you to put aside. There's some old habits. There's some patterns. There's just that old, that old identity. And those, there's some ways, maybe some addictions. And God is saying, I want to let something die in your life so that something new can be born. So that something new can grow. Always keep your eye on what he's growing and what he's planting and what he's cultivating. But he'll allow you to go through the fire to do that good work. So he may be refining your character. Okay, last one. God may not be answering your prayer because he is writing a bigger story. This is where we've got to get a little bit more perspective. How many of you were here a couple of years ago when we did the first collective series on Joseph? The life of Joseph? Mosaic? Yep, some of you. Uh, that was a fun journey through those chapters in Genesis, looking at Joseph's story. Now, just think for a minute about Joseph's experience. If you're familiar with the story, if not, just listen, that's fine. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, and he was shackled and he was taken to Egypt, basically being human trafficked to Egypt as a slave. Now imagine Joseph in, on that journey. He's heading to Egypt. 
His rights and freedom have been completely taken away. He doesn't know how the story's going to end. He hasn't got the rest of Genesis in his Bible. He doesn't know what's going on. He's terrified. He's a teenager. Do you think he prayed on that journey? I imagine he did. Do you think he cried out to God to take that thorn in the flesh away? I imagine he did. And God may have said something, but it wasn't the answer Joseph was wanting because things got a lot worse before they got better. But the answer comes all the way at the end of Genesis. You get all the way. You have to wait for it, but it comes right at the end of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. And Joseph's looking at his brothers. Some of you know this. He's eyeballing his brothers at this point. And he says to them, this well-known verse, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for what? For good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So God knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, he didn't answer Joseph's prayer back here. He didn't step in. Could he have? Yes. Did he? No. Why not? Because God had a bigger picture and he was writing a bigger story. He allowed Joseph to go through a series of really, really tough events because God had his eye on where the story was going. And God used Joseph's suffering in a much bigger story to save countless Egyptian lives, to save his own chosen family, his covenant family of promise, so that those promises could keep pouring forth from one generation to the next. God had this huge story in mind, and he used Joseph's suffering as part of it. God is still doing this today. You and I, when we struggle, we just see our own little stories Right? We just see our own world and that, you know, like it's, it's, it's hard. And so we just, we just have this very small view, me, my family, what I'm going through. This is really tough. This is really difficult. And God is sometimes wanting to say to us, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and look, I'm writing a bigger story here. I know it's hard, but I'm doing a bigger thing. He's got his eye on eternity. He's got his eye on the unfolding story through the generations. And he may be using what you are going through in a much bigger purpose. He may be using what you are going through to bless other people. It may be that through that hard thing, God is reaching into the lives of other people. You know, sometimes you see this. When someone is, is blessed by the church or helped or people take meals around to them and their neighbors look on at that and go, man, if that's the church, I'm interested. Sometimes you see it, right? Sometimes you get a little glimpse. Oh, I see what God's doing here like I thought this was just about me I thought this was just my I mean we're so narcissistic right we think it's all about me sometimes God is saying guess what four really important words in life it's not about you I'm doing something that is far bigger than you and he knows it's hard for you and he his heart breaks for you but he's also moving through you to minister and to bless and sometimes you'll see it but sometimes you won't or sometimes you'll see it decades later Sometimes it's going to be beyond your lifetime, like Abraham, that you're going to see the fulfillment. Sometimes you won't see it until heaven. But we can trust in faith that God is using your story and is weaving your suffering into a much greater story and a much bigger tapestry. We know that. We know it because of Romans 8, which says, God works all things to the, together for the good of those who love him. How many things? All things. Some things? No. Just the little things? No. Just the good things? No. All things. All things. Everything in your life. He is working. He is moving. He is weaving it. He is incorporating. He is integrating. You don't see all of that, but you can know it's happening. It's like that song, Waymaker. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Right? Good promise to hold to. Even when I don't feel it, 
You're working, God. We just have to receive it by faith. But you can at least know the Holy Spirit is working. And through the hardest times of your life, God is still weaving your suffering into a beautiful tapestry for his glory. So those are four reasons. And I know it's easy to sort of say, well, that's that. There's four reasons. I'm done. Go home. But uh, I'm the first one to say there is so much mystery around this, and I don't claim to have all the answers. And I think some of that mystery is simply because God is God and we're not. And we don't. Ultimately, my friends, I don't know. Why does God answer this person's prayer and that person doesn't get the answers they want? Why does God, like in Helen's story, seem to unanswer prayers sometimes, like answer it and then almost take it away? It just seems so hard. So much of this, we ultimately have to say with Paul, we see through a glass dimly. We see through this, this foggy mirror, if you like. We don't see with the clarity that we would like to have in the present and from our earthly perspective. We just don't. We're limited in every possible sense. We don't have the vision that God has. We don't have the wisdom that God has. We don't have the perspective that God has. One day you're going to see it. I can promise you that. One day you'll see it. One day you'll see and you'll look back on those years of suffering, those years that the locusts have eaten, like Joel says, and you will see them with much greater clarity than you see them now. Sometimes in life we can already see back, can't we? And you see what God was doing. But on that day, you'll see it fully. And you'll see, okay, now I see what God was doing. If there was a reason, then you'll see it. If there was a why, then you'll know it. But we can't expect to know all that now. We have to be okay with living with some mystery. We have to be okay with surrendering our suffering to God. And we have to be okay with knowing that even though we don't get the answers that we want, whenever you pray and you cry out to God, he does hear you. He does hear. Please don't ever think that your father doesn't hear you pray. I know it might feel like silence. I know he may feel a billion miles away right now. But he delights and he welcomes your prayers. He receives them. And as Helen said, he acts. He does respond. May not be the way you want him to. May not be in a way that you even see, but he does respond and he does release his power. And you can know that even when it feels like the door of heaven is bolted shut on you, that the truth is that the door into the heavenly throne room is always open because it is held open by Jesus himself who welcomes us in so that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, finding grace and finding mercy to help us in our time of need. Let's pray. God, just in the silence here, we just lift up our, our hearts to you, Whatever's, whatever we're carrying, God, we, we lift it to you. We thank you, God, you already know, you, you already see. It's not anything I say that's going to make a difference. We thank you, God, you just see us completely openly. You see the hurt, you see the places where there's real joy this morning, hearts that are full. You see hearts here that are really empty and struggling today and for many, God, it's a real mixed bag. We thank you, God, that you see into our lives and you love us. I pray, God, for a deep 
an abiding sense of your love to be poured into our lives. God, for people this morning who are crying out to you, praying for things and not hearing those answers, God, may they hear you saying to them, you are my son, you are my daughter, my favor rests upon you. May they hear it in your word, even if they can't hear it any other way, to know that they are loved, to know that they are held, God, to know that you delight in them, you hold them, you embrace them as a father, as our good father. Father, for every broken heart here, we we pray that you would just pour your love, your grace, your mercy, and your tenderness into their soul. Draw them close to you. Show yourself to them as their father, we pray, God. And help us to be able to live in the mystery of all this. We struggle, God. We want answers. We want certainty. Help us, God, to be okay with the mystery of not knowing and being able to say, yet I will trust for the Lord has been good to me. Thank you for your goodness, God. We give our lives and our struggles and our sufferings to you and just lay them at your feet this morning. Lay them at the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, Or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.